We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. Welcome back to Buffalo What's Next. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. We are talking literacy with Rakaya Simmons and Jalicia Jimenez, co-founders of Black Boys Read 2. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. So talk to us about the core goal of Black Boys Read 2, addressing the disparity in literary achievement among African-American boys. We, Our mission is to have books available for both boys and girls with role models and protagonists that look like them, that are written by authors that come from where they come from. Um, And we think that is the first step. Um, Part of our mission is to bring books to the boys by any means necessary. And we both come from an education and literacy background. And we kind of noticed not only with the quantitative data, but qualitatively in our classrooms that boys were less likely to get up and go reach for a book intrinsically. So that was something we really wanted to address hands on. And that that hands-on, that that disruption of that disparity, you know, um, you guys are, you mentioned that you are educators, right? Rakaya, you're a fifth grade teacher? Yes, I um, teach fifth grade at Charter School of Inquiry here in Buffalo. And Jalicia, you are a community schools navigator uh, for Say Yes Buffalo? Yeah, yes. So literacy and education is near near and dear to both of you? Mm, Absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, also, Say Yes Buffalo, um, Dave Rust. Big shout out to him. Yeah, he's the best. <laughs> um, yeah, so just talk a little bit about disrupting that disparity and, and just getting these getting these black boys to read a little bit more. Yeah, um, we originally we started with just placing bookshelves in barbershops. We started with three um, a little bit, almost a year ago, March 2nd of 2022, we launched with three barber shop bookshelves. Um, now we are up to 12 across Erie and Niagara County. And our newest piece is our barbershop book clubs. Um, we just finished our second series um, in this past month, and we'll be doing our third series in March. One thing we kind of talk about is the privilege that we have to focus on the joyous aspects of disrupting the systemic racism and problems that plague our education system. And um, really, it's been just such a pleasure to have these young men and mentors and boys come and join us and ground some of that radicalism um, in reading and enjoying each other's company. So getting into these barbershops, what does that look like? You know, do you do you say, hey, you know, we want to do this club here in these barbershops? You're at you started at three different barbershops. Yes. In yeah. in Erie and Niagara counties. Right. So what is it? What does a day look like 
coming into a barbershop and doing these programs? Well, our first three barbershops, uh, we knew the barbers personally, so that was really an easy transition. Um, but it's really just reaching out and saying, hey, we have this mission. Um, we have a bookshelf. Uh, we put 50 to 75 books on each bookshelf, and it really doesn't require much of a heavy lift from the barbers. They just have to make sure that the books are there when we come back uh, quarterly to switch them out. Um, sometimes we do have some conversations about the demographics and the type of clientele that they have so that we can cater our bookshelves to meet the needs of that community. Um, so we haven't had any pushback, really. Um, we were welcomed with open arms, and we still are looking to place more barbershop bookshelves across the city. I think we've also been really pleasantly surprised with how involved all the barbers want to get in our programming. They're like really gung-ho about it. A lot of them go above and beyond and reach into their own pockets to really um, just make this experience the best that they can. Wow, that yeah. that is that is great. You know, more books in barbershops. Just you know, I would love to come in to a barbershop if I've got a long wait on like a Saturday, and just pick up a book and start reading. So I think there should be more of that uh, uh, in this area. Are are either of you concerned? with what is happening with, with book banning in other parts of the country. I know we like to say, you know, never happening in New York, uh, but given the work you both do, this has to be disconcerting. Yeah, I come from a library sciences background, and that was a big conversation in my classes and in my practice was really considering the consequences of censoring books and sort of like what that means for the next generation of readers, especially as a children's librarian. So, I mean, I think it's it's definitely concerning. It's silencing. It's erasing part of history that um, needs to be talked about. It's kind of silencing large groups of people that matter and have a presence all over the place. So, yeah, it's not something that we do with our bookshelves. In right. fact, we are very provocative and intentional about the titles that we curate um, and put on our shelves. Any, anything, Rakaya, about book banning? Um, no, I don't I don't think so. I think Delicia really covered it. We um, There was a need that we saw with having lists of diverse books, um, so we do have that included on our website. You can go online, and we update it regularly um, for anyone who's looking for any diverse or culturally relevant books. It's available there. You're listening to Buffalo, What's Next? I'm Thomas O'Neill White, and we are talking literacy with Rakaya Simmons and Jalicia Jimenez, co-founders of Black Boys Read 2. Can we go around the booth and state our favorite authors? Mm. That's tough. It is tough. <laughs> um, I, ooh, I like Nick Stone. Um, shout out to Nick Stone. <laughs> um, I think uh, her work is just, um, it mixes that joy, but also allows for young boys and girls and even just adults be, to be able to speak about things that are happening in their community in a real way. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to have a Nick Stone title in one of our upcoming book clubs. Excellent. Jalicia. I'm struggling especially as a librarian, I think ethically I can't pick a favorite author. <laughs> but I do want to shout out all the local authors that we've worked with and 
shine a spotlight on some of their names. Laguan Rogers, um, Cara Oliver Perez. We just did an event with her. Um, if you look on our Instagram, you please go look through and support these amazing local children's authors that are writing some really powerful titles. Um, I'm going to go with the old white man. Uh, <laughs> J.R. Tolkien is my favorite author. Got Classic. tattoos oh, wow. and stuff. And, um, he's just been uh, with me since I was probably eight or nine years old, and, and I'm now 40, and, and he's still right with me. Mm. So um, can we talk a little bit more about the barbershop program? Um, I know you guys are kind of like out of season, right? When are you guys going to be back? We have our next round of our barbershop book club starting on March 8th. So it's open to everyone. Um, we'll be at the barbershop fade and full. We really welcome families to come. I think it's a really fun thing for parents to do with their kids or caregivers to do with their kids um, Wednesday evenings at 5 p.m. Yes, 5 to 6. Yep. Excellent. And you also have other literary, literary pop-up events. Yeah, this past summer we did um, some of a summer series uh, where we partnered with Absolute Health and Wellness downtown, um, and we partnered health and wellness, so sports and uh, yoga and meditation with reading, and so um, it was wonderful to be able to have families come out and participate in something a little active. Um, our dodgeball tournament was very popular. Um, I'm waiting for, you know, a, a rematch. <laughs> um, and then also being able to um, come together around a book that was related to the theme. Um, so that was something that we're looking forward to doing something similar this summer as well. Uh, on your website, uh, you mentioned you've got um, a pretty long list of uh Picture books, chapter books, poetry, nonfiction. Um, is there a particular book from that list uh, you like that you would recommend to a second grader or a middle schooler? One thing that we found really interesting was um, the book that we just read together in our barbershop book club by Remy Blackwood, Race to Future Mountain. Um, it was, I think it's marketed more so to like that 8 to 12 age range but because of the story and the characters participants of all ages could really relate to the characters that we were reading about and so I think that sometimes books can really transcend age um, especially when you're building community around them. How do you choose the books? For the book club or just? Yeah for the book club. Um, well, we do like to try to find authors that follow us on social media. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we came across uh, the story that we just read, uh, Future Hero, Race to Fire Mountain. Um, we actually got the recommendation from Meg at Alice Ever After Books um, on Parkside. Yes. Right? yes. Um, that story it is centered around a young boy who goes to a barber shop that's owned by his cousin and there's a secret portal in the back in the back and he finds out that he is 
a king or a prince from um, this... Like a royal bloodline. Mm. Of, of like a futuristic... Very Wakanda-esque. Yes. Nice. Yeah. And we saw that there was the connection with the barbershop, and we were going to be doing the book club in a barbershop, so it just it worked out well. And it was wonderful because uh, we the author follows us on social media, and um, it's an actual author team, so there's... Um, a few people who write together under the name uh, Remy Blackwood and they're based out of the UK and they actually zoomed in to talk to our group um, which was wonderful because it was 10 30 11 o'clock at night in the UK (laughs) and um, it was wonderful to have the students be able to or the kids and participants. I'm in my teacher mode, students. <laughs> um, the the participants to be able to read the story and then also be able to talk to that author and ask questions about the process. Um, and we're looking to do that again with the next story since we're going to be reading the second book in the series in March. Is that how you measure effectiveness? Um, you know, with with you know talking to an author and, and you've got your group and they're asking questions about the books. Um, is that is that one method you uh, measure, like you know how how effective you are doing with your work? Are there any other methods that you look at? Absolutely, um, that is part of it. Um, but also, we do do our normal kind of surveys. Um, everyone participates in a survey after each session, and then we're able to come together as a group and decide what's working, what isn't working. Um, we really just want to make sure that the program is giving our community what they need, um, even if it's not what we envisioned in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's always evolving. Yeah, and I think it's like one measure of success and engagement is return. So we have a lot of familiar faces that come back to our events. And that really, to me, shows that we are building community and we are curating like a welcoming space for people to come back and bring their family members and friends to. Moving along into 2023, what, is, what does that look like? What, uh, what events do you have coming up expanding the Barbershop series? Could you, could you be moving into salons as well? <laughs> We're talking about taking our barbershop bookshelf program into other cities um, expanding out of Buffalo so if you're listening and you're interested and you've got a shop we'd love to place one Um, I think we've really found our niche and um, some grounding in our book club series so I think we've talked a lot about expanding that as well and just you know um, to be clear the group is called Black Boys Read Too, but this is very much family oriented. Absolutely, yes. And this is one question I like to ask all my guests. I mean, it's a broad question, um, but like you know, I interview people from all different walks of life, um, especially the ones based locally. So, what, um, what does Buffalo need? From your, from Rakaya, from your vantage point, Jalicia, from your vantage point, what does Buffalo need? Ooh, I think, um, as an outsider looking in, so I'm a transplant from New York City, yeah. but I feel very at home in Buffalo, and I feel inspired by the creatives and talent that the city has to offer. I think we need more focus, funding, and opportunity for those creatives to thrive and be seen and heard. 
Yeah, I would agree. I think that the community um, is very supportive. Yes. Um, even when we first launched, we received a lot of support locally. Um, I think that we as a community just need to continue that support. So um, we, when things happen, we get very excited and we support. And then it starts to die down. Right. Um, I it's the think, Buffalo way. Yeah. <laughs> so I think if we can figure that out as a community and continue to stay involved and um, yeah, stay involved with the missions and the creatives and the organizations that we get so excited about, I, I think that the sky's the limit. I think Buffalo can really make even bigger name for themselves. Yeah, it feels like there's so much, like, like kinetic energy here. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. the momentum sometimes can just sort of yeah, but the Yeah, ta- but the talent is always here. Yes. It's, it's going to remain here. It's just getting that talent out and being able to, you know, let them do what they do. Right. Absolutely. Right. You're listening to Buffalo What's Next. I'm Thomas O'Neill White, and we are talking literacy with Rakaya Simmons and Jalicia Jimenez, the, co- the co-founders of Black Boys Read 2. Rakaya, Jalicia, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, thank you so much us. for having us. <laughs> that was Jalicia Jimenez and Rakaya Simmons from Black Boys Read 2 talking literary achievement for children of color. We'll be right back with more Buffalo What's Next after this quick break and return with Western New York merchant consulting founder Robert Grant. I'm Sabrina Tavernisi, host of The Daily. With the extraordinary reach of New York Times journalism, we are here bringing you the sound and the story. Listen every weekday as New York Times reporters unpack more of what you want to know about our world as it happens. That's The Daily from The New York Times. Weeknights at 6 p.m. Support for WBFO comes from our members and from Asbury Arts Center at Babeville, presenting an evening with Josh Ritter, Saturday, March 4th. Josh Ritter is a prolific songwriter, singer, musician, and author. He has written and produced a catalog of music that tells several stories about which listeners will relate. Josh will be featuring music from his yet-to-be-released album, Spectral Lines, due out the end of April. General seating tickets are available at TixR.com or at the Babeville box office. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And we're back. I'm host Thomas O'Neill White, and we're talking entrepreneurship, networking, disrupting, and a little bit of hip hop <laughs> with WNY Merchant Consulting and Stay Grinding Inc. founder Robert Grant. Robert, thank you for being with us today. No, thank you for having me. I'm honored and I'm humbled as well. When we spoke earlier, you described yourself as a disruptor. <laughs> now, how do you apply that to your work in, in payment solutions and credit card processing? Okay, so um, so I'm, I'm a, let's go back two, three years. Yes. Before the pandemic. Let's do that. Before the pandemic. So I've had these solutions um, for payment processing that 
I felt like a lot of businesses here in Buffalo were lacking multiple revenue streams, for, you know, to get from their business, like online processing, delivery apps. You know, I was trying to get them ready for the future. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> that's kind of, you know, they're like, no, Rob, you know, this is how it is in Buffalo. We, we don't need that. You know, we've been doing this. It's been successful this way. And we, we don't see we don't see this, you know, working for us in the future. The future comes. Pandemic hits. What happens? Businesses shut down. What do they? What do everyone start doing? Using online delivery mm -hmm. apps, um, online um, ordering. So, a lot of my clients was like, "Rob, Rob, you still got those? Um, you still got those solutions?" I'm like, "Yes, I just they've been laying dormant. Um, they're here." So I just flipped the switch, and a lot of my clients that had restaurants here in Buffalo, they stayed in business because I gave them the solutions to be able for them to be able to create those different revenue streams while they were shut down. So that to me, that was you know that's kind of disrupting you know right um, filling in, you know filling in cracks that are um, you know when when companies or or people get big sometimes they start to crack right there's there's cracks in in, in you know in in the business so mm -hmm. I, I'm there to kind of. Fill in that crack. Right. You Provide know? that sealant. Yep. Upsetting the apple cart is preferable to you than, than fitting in? It's, it's, I've always been that way. So, um, you know, just just in just in life, in all my trials and tribulations, I've, I feel like it's I've always had a fight for what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I've always gone against the grain. <laughs> always. So, And just applying that philosophy to everything you do i mean is it how does that how does that feel to you how does that work for you is it not setting yourself apart from others but you know d disruptor could mean on one side something really good right you know but on another side it's like oh this guy again <laughs> exactly and something i would get that a lot sometimes but when I when I initially when I started my businesses and when I started everything, I realized I had to be become part of the community, right? Because I needed the help from the community to grow my business. So, um, giving back is a big thing for me um, in, in in Buffalo, you know. So, um, what I started to do was connect people, help people, um, you know, help people with their businesses, and um, you know, just show value, right? Show value. And show people there's other ways of doing things, there's other ways to be successful. And that's, you know, even though I'm a disruptor, I am, a, you know, I, I am a given person. So, you know, I, I'm an acquired taste, you know, <laughs> I'm an acquired taste. But if you come to me and you want to do something, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to help you do it. And there have been a lot of situations at times where people said, oh, I want to do this. I want to be successful in this. I want to do that. And I start helping them with it. And then it becomes starts to become a reality to them and they get scared, you know. So. <clears throat> You know, I just I'm just the type of guy, if, you know, I, I come from a place where I've seen a lot of success and I know what it looks like. And I know the, and I know the formula. I don't know everything, but I'm open to learn things as well. Like if someone's super successful or more successful than me, I want to get next to that person and learn what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Not instead of walking, going away, you know, separate, separating myself away from that person. I want to learn. Yeah. It, when you run into these people who who want to who want help but are afraid of success why do you think why do you think they have that fear i don't think i, I think initially they, they they thought i think it's I, I don't know if they're afraid of success at that time right but when it starts to become a reality to them i think it's it's scary 
because I don't think anyone probably ever, I don't think they ever probably even experienced that, you know, like any of their dreams coming to reality. And it's a scary thing. I've been there numerous times, you know, I used to have dreams about me being on stage or me doing certain things and it gets scary when it gets real, you know, but like I said, I've been around a lot of success, so I know what it's like. So mm-hmm. I know how to I know how to uh, navigate na- navigate that. You found with your payment and processing business that the majority of your clientele were white folks, mm-hmm. but you're really trying to reach out to black and brown folks moving forward. Yes, um, still white moving forward as well. Right? Well, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. No, we're not we're not we're not shun- shunning still, white folks out yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. I, I love my white people. <laughs> But I want to give them the solutions that, you know, other other businesses that are that I work with that are doing exceptionally well. I want to give them the same solution and tools to help them thrive. Um, You know, I go to a lot of black businesses and I see a lot of things that could be done better and just help them stay in business. You know, you see a lot of black businesses that open. They don't stay along. They don't stay around too, too long. Um. You know, I grew up, I, t- I try to take a lot of shortcuts too in business at, at, at times, you know, when early in my career with other things. And, you know, I just learned how to do things correctly. So lay a really strong foundation, all your business in order, so you can able to thrive, you able to thrive. And then I can help you create multiple revenue streams. It's really about connections too and knowing the right people and having knowledge. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to get to that shortly. Um, just for people who may not know very much about you like how many how many businesses in how many businesses are you running or are you a part of um so i'm I'm actually running i'm i'm running three businesses so i'm running wny merch consulting which is the payment processing solution um and i provide uh you know multiple solutions for business owners and i do high risk as well so like people who need you know sell gun firearms or you know Debt collection agencies, I provide solutions for them because they, they're on the match list. A lot of them can't get processing, so it's very difficult for them. And then I also do cannabis as well. So I do dispensaries and I do um, online processing for like CBD and all that. So I can do all that, um, B2B, et cetera, et cetera. Then I have Stay Grinded Music, which is the publishing company where um, I facilitate uh, licensing deals um, with um, TV and film. So I help a lot of artists make money in the music industry from licensing publishing. So that's a lot that's music that's played on TV and film. You hear a mm-hmm. lot of music in the background. That's called those are called musical beds, right? So right. I a lot of my producers, they do a lot of musical beds for, you know, TV shows. I'm I'm sure people are familiar with the Kardashian show, um Disney stuck in the middle, all, all mm-hmm. that types of stuff. So we we do we do musical beds and we also do theme music. Excellent. excellent. Then one more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then Stay Grinded Inc., which is the parent label to Stay Grinded Music, where you know I just you know I I consult artists and I do a lot of artist development. I don't manage anybody. I can't I can't manage artists because if you don't have the same drive that I do, then it's right. it's, it's, it's not going to work. <laughs> um, you mentioned value a few minutes ago, and I wanted to ask you what what does value mean to you? Um, cr- creating uh wealth, creating wealth, and 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 ha- helping people create wealth as as well. So um, I have a I'm a I'm a founder of a networking group called Team Network. So to get to Team Network is an acronym. Um, together everyone achieves more. So what I do with Team Network, um, uh, prior to the pandemic, I used to host um these 
things called lunch and learns. So I would bring people to Black and Blue out in Amherst, and we would have um, we have a lunch meeting, and I would highlight a business owner or a business professional, and they would talk about their product or solution or their business and attract new customers or or, or new clients. So creating value, correct? Yeah. And then um, my world here in Buffalo is not segregated, so when I moved here, I met people from all walks of life, all walks of culture. You know, I met people from everywhere. So when people come to my networking group, they meet people from all types of cultures. You know, it's very super diverse. So that's what I do. I try to create as much value. And a lot of people probably wouldn't meet these people if they didn't come to my networking event because a lot of people stay in their suburb area. A lot of people stay in the city. They don't, you know, in, in between but when they come to me, it's like it's like the United Nations, man. It's you know everyone's coming together, and that's the perfect segue because I wanted to ask you: you're not you're not originally from this area. Uh, where are you from? How did you grow up? Um, and what did you see in Western New York when you first moved here? So I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, but I did move up. I did move to Buffalo when I from uh, Brooklyn. So I lived in Brooklyn prior. Um, but I've lived a lot of different places as well. Um, I'm I'm an Air Force veteran, so I, I got to travel a lot and see a lot. You know, been around the been around the world once, so I've seen a lot. So I start to understand socioeconomics. Mm-hmm. So coming to Buffalo, I, I just looked at how much is it for rent? How much is it to buy a house? <laughs> how much is it for you know like a how much is it for like Crown Royal? Like <laughs> you know, I was just like everything was so cheap. Yes. And I was just like, oh, man, you know, I see an opportunity here where some people that live here, you know, all their life, they probably don't see the opportunity. Right. You're you're looking at it from the outside. Right. So I wanted to come here. I wanted to be able to own properties. I wanted to be able to offer my talents and gifts. um, And I wanted to, you know, help people see, you know, see that there's more than what they see. Like you can do more than one thing. You can you can create you can create um, a legacy. You can um, you can live your dreams and goals. You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, think practical, think practical." We we all have to think practical. I know that. I you know right. I have to think practical as well. You know, when I was first starting my business, I had to go work at UPS at night while I was doing building my sales. I get all that, but if you're consistent and and you, it's all about consistency. If you stay consistent in what you want to do, you can you can make your dreams a reality. So um, moving up here, I just wanted to just bring my talents and gifts and, you know, just help, uh, you know, uplift the community, you know. And how long have you lived here? I've been here for over 15 years now. 15 years. Mm-hmm. Has, has, your, has your view changed at all about the city, about the people in this city or in this region? I think well, um, my view has changed. It was a little rough for me when I first came here. You know, Buffalo, they wear their distrust on their sleeve and they have every reason to do that. You know, it's a rough city. A lot of people came up, you know, it's rough, you mm-hmm. know. And um, but once I started to befriend a lot of people, people that were born and raised here and got connections, you know, I realized once they trust you, they got your back for life, man. They're very, very, very loyal. Um, And that's what I appreciate. Um, I'm that type of person. So I appreciate Buffalo because it's a small knit community, but there's some real people here, man. And that's what I mean. I'm a transplant too. I've lived here a little yeah. longer than you have, mm. but you know, you get to you get to know the people. Yeah, and it's 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 real in the field. Yeah, as man. They say. Yep. We're gonna take a short break, and we'll be back on the other side. You are listening to Buffalo. What's next? 
Buffalo is home to many historical treasures, including architectural gems. Central Terminal affected everybody. Everybody from the common man to the movie star walked this concourse. Beloved community establishments. They might get a glimpse to see Lena Horne. Uh, they might uh, see Dizzy or Miles Davis, uh, you know, Charlie Parker. And homes for local sports teams. When we talk about an institution, Memorial Auditorium was an institution. The WNED PBS original production, Remembering Western New York, Explore some of these iconic structures and their connection to people who live in the region. There was a time when Buffalo's Main Street was the focus of holiday shopping in Western New York. Watch Remembering Western New York now on YouTube. Attention parents and teachers. Find free learning resources, including lesson plans and videos for all ages at pbslearningmedia.org. This is Buffalo What's Next where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And we're back. I'm host Thomas O'Neill White, and we're talking entrepreneurship. We're talking networking. We're talking disrupting the system. A little bit of hip hop, a little bit of weed. <laughs> With WNY Merchant Consulting and Stay Grinding Inc. founder Robert Grant. I wrote this quote down, Rob, mm -hmm. uh, during our phone conversation. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> Small table with real people mm. what do you mean by that all right so <laughs> so i'm gonna give i'm gonna give i'm gonna give some plugs to a couple of organizations yes all right so when i first moved here i joined this group called bni it's called business Na uh national uh no business networking international right so when i when i initially joined the organization um you know uh they it's a it's a referral network so mm -hmm. when uh, I joined, there was a little apprehension about me, you know, what I could provide. And I said, okay, we'll see. So they didn't know who I was yet. So I said, okay, I'm going to put my bootstraps on and I'm going to create as much value as possible for this group where they can't deny me. So I did that. And the second year, it just got to the point where, you know, um, they just couldn't operate at the level that I was operating. So I left the organization. So this is probably like seven, eight years ago. And um, I created Team Network. So when I started doing Team Network, it was, you know, I was small, you know, I was in a small section in black and blue, like only fit t 10 people. Right. And, you know, I was posting stuff saying, well, his Team Network, we're about to, you know, starting to grow, it's starting to grow. And then somebody left a comment and was like, you need a bigger table for that. You need a bigger table. And I was uh, like, and I was like, really? Do I said, I? I said, really? Do I? I said, I'd rather have a small table with real people, you know, effective people and people who hold themselves accountable than be around, or have a big table with people who are just talking and not doing anything and not, not acting. So that's where, I, that's where I got that from. Does leadership come natural to you or did you have to figure out your place? I had to figure out my place um, and... I just had a I had to really look inside and, and find my own superpower because I, I at point at times you know I didn't I didn't see it you know mm -hmm. um, you know having a lot of gifts and talents you know um, sometimes I get you know sometimes I just I pivot a lot sometimes but at the same time I know that 
there I can lead myself, but it, I had a hard time leading leading other people. I got to the point now, you know, developing skills in corporate America, how to be a leader. You know, I did a lot of programs to be able to, you know, learn how to lead because I, I, I was the type of guy that leaded by example. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. but now I'm here in Buffalo, you know, I'm finding people that I can work with. That was probably another thing, too. Like back then, you know, I was around a lot of people who genuinely didn't want to see me be successful. So it was hard for me to lead people who were really not trying. They were just trying to hold you down, hold me down. Yeah. You know, why do you think that is? Or why that was? I, it brought probably insecurities or jealousy. It could be numerous things. I I don't know, but at this point, in, I I don't I don't even care anymore. <laughs> I just want to be around. I just like if we vibe, if we if we connect, then it's, that's what it's meant to be. I see it as, I see it as God moving people out my way now. God moving people out my way and putting the people in place that are supposed to be there. Right, right, and networking. Mm-hmm. Why is that so important overall, but like especially in this region? Uh, I, I, I believe my, I got another saying, your network is your net worth. Mm. That's another thing that I believe in because I couldn't get a lot of places without networking. I didn't get here by myself. A lot of people helped me along the way, and, and that was through networking. So I believe networking is very important because you just never know who can help you. You never know who can help you. Right, right, right. And you're making – some inroads into the cannabis business, the mm-hmm. CBD business, kind of. Can you talk a little bit about that? <clears throat> right. So, um, I when I, when I worked for you know I worked for a lot of payment processing companies throughout the years, and and I learned a lot from them. And, and um, I, I met the Cadillac of processors, and they taught me the game. And I you know and I'm grateful for that. So after um, what I what I realized about the credit card processing you know companies, a lot of them want to differentiate themselves. But as soon as they got bought out by their competitor, they acquired them, and the acquisition went through. They became just like their processor. They started doing everything they said they weren't going to do. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to become, um, you know, I, I just wanted to become independent and, you know, be able to control the costs and the fees on things. And um, so now that I'm not with these companies, I can I can work with anybody. I have so many different verticals and, and solutions. So cannabis is one of the uh, solutions that I provide because I feel like a lot of people are doing things the reg- they're not doing things correctly. Right. You know. Right. Not following the, the regulations, uh, regulations, licensing, the, the right. processing. A lot of them are doing things a little shady. <laughs> so and and you know I just want to make sure that you know. Western New York, they're set up correctly with the POS. Everything is compliant, and I want to make sure I can help them save as much money as possible on the cannabis solutions. But I also provide so many different other solutions when it comes to cannabis, like, you know, cannabis delivery. I do cannabis insurance. I do cannabis banking. I do cash advance for cannabis. Yeah, so I have a lot of different uh, gift cards. Like, I'm making sure that they have all the solutions they need to to be successful. You've got to keep your eye on this ball, though, with with legalized cannabis in the Mm -hmm. state because it is such a fluid situation. Right, right. Segwaying, perfect segue from weed (laughs) to hip-hop. Yeah, man. (laughs) You go by the moniker Omega Red. Yes. When did you initially get into hip-hop? Um, I got into hip hop, I would say, into the early '80s, and um, you know that transition from the you know early seven, uh, late '70s. I was born in '76. I don't know. I'm a 
I'll put my name. Doesn't look like it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> he does not look like he was born in 1976. Yeah, so thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> I got you, 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 you. They call you Red, too, though, because. High yellow. High yellow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I grew, you know, like, I caught, like, the old school, the disco, the Motown. My parents are very, um, they're, my parents love music. My mom was a huge Jimi Hendrix fan, and my dad loved Motown. So I got, I caught a lot of classical rock in Motown. So when hip hop started to transition, like the first, like the first really big record was Sugar Hill Gang, right? It was kind right. of a disco beat with yep. rap. Yep. So, um, you know, I was super young. I was like maybe four, four, four years old, but I was there for the inception of hip hop. Um, and I, I grew up playing um, jazz. I'm a jazz musician. I'm the saxophone player. Ah. Yeah. So, um, so in jazz you know we would freestyle was freestyling is called improv so yep. it so so it was like an easy transition for me to get into hip-hop because you know um when, when i was in like i would say like elementary school junior junior high school that's when um you know they start to sample like jazz records right yes um uh big daddy kane smooth operator so i started to play that with the saxophone verbatim okay so then i would get my little band together for junior high and 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 play you know we would play hip hop play like you know that beat right and i would play and i would i would play the saxophone and then i would grab the mic and start rapping so that's my first introduction into hip hop who was your first favorite artist I would say, oh man, I I I gotta say, Big Daddy Kane was my first, like, first big artist that I was like, yo, I want to get into this. And and to follow up, favorite jazz artist, I would say Bradford Marcellus, um, uh, Bird, blow the spot like Bradford Marcellus. Yep. Um, uh-huh. um, John Coltrane. Yes, sir. Bird. So and I would play um uh, my favorite things, you know. For uh, for Bird, so yeah, so those two are my one of my favorite jazz musicians. Excellent, excellent. So when did you decide you wanted to make a career out of this? Um, uh, all right. So when I got out the military, I said, you know what, I'm just gonna go full time into this this business, and then um, you know, I, I just I just took a deep dive. But you know, I you know, I grew up, you know, I, I have family member. I got a lot of family members in the music industry, so it's you know, but I never asked anyone for help, but I, what I did is I just said I got to get connected with the DJs and and um and make the connections so I can get my stuff played on radio. So that's what eventually what happened. Then my first singles with Ray J, but that's that's pretty much how I you know um I, I that's how I took it serious. I, I mean I'm the type of person if I if I want to take something serious and drive I get that tunnel vision and I make it happen. But that's at the point when I got the military I said I want I want to take this serious because I just I just something inside me just told me like this is my purpose right you know being a being a musical artist and creator but at the same time i have a business mind you know and i didn't want to be a business person per, per se in the beginning of the my music career i just wanted to be an artist but you know I, I i've had a few partners throughout the years working in music and i have them to handle the business side and it never worked out that right. way so i said i gotta if i'm gonna do this i gotta i gotta put my business my business cap on too so yeah you gotta kind of do for self especially yeah. in a in a <laughs> business like hip-hop yeah where it's eh, pretty shady mm-hmm. so yeah so i had to do you know i had a you know i've i've had a lot of trial and errors i had a lot of deception you know i you know a lot of backstabbing portrayal but you know that's you know the, the industry's like that so you know being in and being independent is way is is tough but once you cultivate your fan base 
and you have a solid fan base, a core fan base, you really don't need to worry about any of that stuff. And this is some of the knowledge you try to apply to artists that you work with. Yes. Talk a little bit more about that, and talk about the importance of publishing, owning your publishing. So when I'm when I'm teaching artists, what I've when I've what, what I've taught artists in the past, and what I'm teaching artists now is that you know music publishing is pretty much like your intellectual property. It's like real estate. You know, um, when someone your grandmother dies or something like that, what do they what do they do? They pass down the house to you, right? So, p- publishing is like that. Um, I'm sure you heard stories like Justin Bieber just sold his publishing for like ninety million dollars, right? Or Michael Jackson owns half of Sony Publishing, mm-hmm. right? So that's like digital in- intellectual property. So it's like digital real estate. So what I try to show them is you can make money in the music industry. A lot of artists want to be the, the, at the top of the pyramid. They want to be, you know, huge celebrities and they want to, you know, they want to make these millions and millions of dollars and that's fine, you know, right. if you have those operate, you know, you have those aspirations and goals, but let me show you how to like sustain a living in the music industry till you get to where you need to be, mm-hmm. you know. So that's what I show artists. I show them a different way. A lot of it's ego too. A lot of them, a, lot, a lot of people are on um, you know, they they want to do those big hit records and those big singles and you know, but they don't want to actually do like something for a TV show, you know, where, right. you know, for kids or something like that. And that's good money. Like I've had music actually placed on stuck in the middle. I'm watching stuck in the middle with my daughter and my song comes on. Right. <laughs> and I'm, I'm shocked myself because I don't know where they put where they put the music. I just yeah. give the music, you know, the music supervisors, the music. And I'm like, Oh, this is cool. And I get those checks. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll say this to any aspiring musical artist. Outcast did a song for the Scooby Doo soundtrack. Now, if they <laughs> yeah. can do that, you can do uh, uh, cartoon shows. Right. It may sound corny, but that corny that corniness gets your money. <laughs> so, kill the kill the ego. Exactly. Exactly. We've talked a lot about the businesses that you run like how do you find the time to manage all this stuff so i've been doing the 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 music stuff i've been doing for like 20 plus years okay so a lot of that is a turnkey for me you know um and sometimes i have to pivot you know sometimes i just you know well i I do pivot but some the stay stay grinding music stay grinding is kind of turnkey for me so that's on autopilot okay So I don't really have to focus on that as much as when I uh, with WI Merch Consultant when I need to do a lot of business development. I need, if I need to scale my business, I have to focus on scaling my business. I got to get back out there, start networking, make new connections. You know, so sometimes I just have to um, pivot, right? I just yeah. put something to the side. Like you know, I had to you know I got music projects I need to work on, but you know I needed to you know but I need to scale my my other business. So I just I'll put it on hold. I just have to put it on hold and then focus on you know, the, the business development, you know, for six to seven months if I have to. So it's really about just come, you got to humble yourself, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, kill the ego, like I said, and just be like, okay, I'm not, I can't do this right now because I need to, I need to, you know, focus on one thing. So it's really about just kind of pivoting and just focusing on one thing at a time. And when, then when you build that foundation, you can walk away and let it run, right? right. While you're focusing on something else. I feel like any, any business to be successful, the whole objective is to get your business to the point where you don't need to be there 24-7. And you've got a daughter. I have two daughters. Two daughters. Yes. Two daughters. Mm-hmm. How's it like being a dad? I love being a dad. I love being a dad. Um, my oldest is 26 and my youngest is 13, going to be 14. So um, I, they're, they're going to be the heirs to my throne, you know? So I'm very proud. I'm very proud of both my daughters. My 
oldest, she's she's amazing. She's going for a master's right now. My daughter, my youngest daughter, she's has she's like a triple threat. She can sing, she can dance, she can she's an artist. Uh-huh. So I'm just waiting for her to find her lane, though. You know, uh-huh. so, you know, because I'm her dad, so I'm not cool, right? You yeah, know what I'm right. saying? <laughs> so you know, I, I, sometimes she's like, "Ah, oh, dad, you need to work on this." You know, she gives me a lot. I ask her a lot of opinions about music because she's young. So I want to still cater to the young crowd. So I ask her a lot of questions. And she's like, "Nah, that ain't it, dad. That ain't it." You know, so she keeps me humble. <laughs> do you do you do you help manage her or do you do you have are you kind of playing the background with her it's called seeding i seed her so so i plant seeds in her head like I, i'll force her to watch stuff with me sometimes okay you know and and she'd be like ah, i don't watch it but it's 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 seeding in her like she's it's, it's seed i seed it and it grows because if she'll come back to me like you know what dad you told me about this and this i heard about this in school right and you know so it's like I give her I, I give her the game, but until other people, you know, she hears it from someone else, and then she's like, "Oh wow, my dad was right." So it's kind of that situation. Circling back to networking, do you have any networking events coming up that folks should know about? Yes, I do. Actually, I have a networking event. It's going to be in East Aurora at the Griffin Pub. That's going to be March twenty second, and it, that's going to start at six o'clock. So if you want to come and you want to meet a lot of uh, elite networkers and professionals definitely come down last question and take your time with this okay cool. with your with your unique perspective um as someone who's you know been around the world been to different cities in the united states but you know you're firmly uh here yeah in I'm buffalo a, i consider myself a buffalonian now in, in western new york oh okay yeah. all right all right um in your mind what does buffalo need um <laughs> what does it need? It needs more of open minded to new things. Uh let's not let's let's bring the cultures t- together more. And uh I would feel I feel like it's just 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 be early adapters. Be, start to become early adapters. Um, Buffalo's, you know, when I go other places, I see Buffalo's probably 10, 15 years behind on a lot of things. So just become just becoming early adapters. Um, and yeah. What does that mean, though? So, <clears throat> for instance, like I said, you know, when I had those solutions for them, for the business owners and they were rejecting it because they didn't think they would ever need it. Right. You know, they they weren't early adapters, you know, so they couldn't, they couldn't see that. Far yeah, they couldn't the see that far ahead in the future. So. Um, you know, when, when we take a loss out here in Buffalo, it, it's, it really crushes people and it makes them not want to do something over again, over and over. If you take a loss, we, we fail every day. Mm-hmm. So just take that L, put, you know, and keep moving forward because, you know, that's, you have to do that. So I would like to see more consistency of just moving forward. If, if something didn't work out, that's fine. You're going to, you're going to take a loss. Let's bounce back and let's move forward. Cause the faster we move forward, the more we can advance. Right. Right, right. I mean, we're we're definitely a city known for taking losses, as you said. Right. Um, bringing people together, though, it's a, it's a tough. That's a tough. I'm doing. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm bringing people together. It's you know, it's been. I've been here for 15 years, and it took me a good, probably solid, you know, seven, eight years, you know, to people to catch on to what I'm doing. But um, that's what I'm doing. That as far as disrupting, I'm trying to I'm trying to bring all the coaches together, man. I'm trying to bring everyone together, you know. And some people don't want that. Some people want the division because when you have the division, you the people won't be exposed. Right. So you know, I'm 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 breaking down all those those things. How do you how do you? Yeah, it's like 
fighting against that separation and keeping people siloed yeah is 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 just a hard hill to climb um collaboration that's my thing like i collaborate with so many people and that's and that's what's that's why it's working for me because i tell people we have to work together so what i try to do is i try to collaborate as with much as much people as possible you know um and i think that's the key to everybody growing and doing better here in buffalo the more collaboration the more better excellent you're listening to buffalo what's next our daily discussion on race education segregation health and more following the may 14th top shooting i want to thank my guest robert grant for being here today rob i appreciate you appreciate you brother i appreciate you thank you for stopping in no man i'm honored man you're listening to wbfo and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, WUBJ Jamestown. One more time, uh, Robert, uh, WNY Merchant Consulting? Yes, yeah, so that people can find me at uh, www.wnymc.co. And then, uh, you know, my stage name, pseudonym Omega Red. Just just look me up and, uh, you know, I'm all over the place. One last question about Omega Red. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you coming out with any new music? Yes. I Well, I covered, I just did drop, I just dropped a single. It's called Home Sweet Home. It's produced by Grammy Award winning producer 88 Keys. I don't know if you know yes. who he is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he produced that record, Home wow. Sweet Home. And then um, I'm working on my album right now, um, the Red Tape Volume uh, 4. That's going to be coming out um, probably in the summertime. And then I'm going to be doing the Music Art Festival in September. You know, I work with the Google Dolls. I record their studio, so they love me. So I, Oh, really? Yeah, so You'll I be do... doing the Elmwood Art Festival? No, no, Music or... is Arts Festival. Music is, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But also, actually, you know what, I just remember. So I'm also going to be doing a fundraiser for Hope Rises uh, Network, the uh, nonprofit group. Okay. Uh, Kate Glaser. So she's a really good friend of mine. So I'm going to be doing a... Um, a show. It's gonna be June. It's gonna be June 9th at the Rec Room. So it's gonna be. It's called Music for Hope. So I have, um, uh, I have uh, Mighty Mystic. He's a huge reggae artist. Um, his brother's the Prime Minister of Jamaica. He's my brethren. He's gonna be performing. I'm gonna be performing. And then I have a group called Telephone Tag, um, which uh, includes Ryan Doyle. He's a Buffalo um, local. Mu- he was a local musician, but he's all over the place now. He's national. And we worked on records for years now. So it's gonna be us three performing, um, doing music for hope to raise money to, um, you know, for this nonprofit, so she can help other nonprofits be successful here in Buffalo as well. And where can we find this latest single? Um, you can find it on all uh, social media platforms and um, um, distribution platforms like Spotify, iTunes. You, you just Google Home Sweet Home, Omega Red, and it will pop right up. Awesome. Let me run through that uh, station ID again. You're okay. listening to WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station. Robert, thanks again, brother. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate you. All right. You are listening to Buffalo What's Next.